One of the most famous pagan holy sites in what is now Germany during the early medieval age was a, a sacred grove in the region of Hesse in which stood a, a very large and majestic oak tree. A contemporary account calls it, quote, a certain oak of extraordinary size called in the old tongue of the pagans the Oak of Jupiter. And this oak was more famously known as the Tree of Thor and was dedicated to the Germanic god by the local pagan Saxons in Hesse. But in the year 723 CE, this tree and the, the sacred grove came to a dramatic end. And that year, a large group of Christians were assembled by a bishop called Boniface, later Saint Boniface, who was bent on converting the Saxons of that area and uh, eliminating their pagan practices and customs. He led the group to the grove and cut down the large oak and completely destroyed the sacred grove. And not content with destroying the tree, he added insult to injury by making a, a church from the huge amount of wood that had been felled from the tree and the sacred grove. This was one of the most important events in post-Roman and early medieval German religious history, so let's take a closer look into this incident and see exactly what happened. By the way, this video is split into chapters, so if you'd like to skip forward to a particular section, just click on the links given for the chapters in the description section below. An interesting story survives from the early medieval period about a pagan Saxon chief of the 8th century being preached to by a Christian missionary priest and being asked to convert to Christianity. The pagan listened for a while and then asked the monk who he would be living with in the Christian heaven if he became a Christian. Would he meet his father, his grandfather, his ancestors, perhaps some great Germanic warriors of yesteryear he could embrace and share heroic stories with? Or would he only meet Christians like uh, the monk dressed in sackcloth before him? The monk gave him a pretty straightforward answer. He said he would never meet his ancestors in heaven because they were unbelievers and therefore had already been consigned to hell. But he would of course meet him again and plenty of other Christians like himself, for only Christians could enter paradise. To which the Saxon chief answered he would rather embrace his ancestors in hell and be locked up for eternity in heaven with Christians like this monk. It's an interesting anecdote, but perhaps more importantly, it pretty much encapsulated the disinterest most pagan Germans might have had in those days for the overly simplistic meaning of life that Christianity offered. The pagan Saxons believed in the Germanic gods like Odin, Thor and Freya, just like uh, all the tribes north of the old Roman borders. And these deities were well known even during Roman times. The famous Roman historian Tacitus, for instance, links Thor with Hercules, while other Greeks and Romans connected him with Jupiter. Pagan beliefs were a lot more closer and uh, in tune with nature as opposed to the Christian habit of constructing and praying in stone churches. They venerated the gods through nature itself with the creation of sacred groves and trees dedicated to these gods where prayers and offerings could be made. Trees were special objects of veneration and uh, in fact they believed that uh, an ash tree called Yggdrasil was the centre of the world and the, that the gods held their assemblies next to this giant tree. And surviving medieval records tell us that there was a, a large number of very famous sacred trees and groves that had been established through Germanic lands but all these were raised to the ground by the various Christian rulers and armies that annexed these areas. One famous one was named the Pillar of Ermensul and uh, was situated in the Teutoburg Forest close to the river Lippi, north of Hesse. The tree and grove were destroyed by Charlemagne and his army in the year 772 CE. The grove included a temple or sanctuary and the offerings of gold and silver and other items were ransacked by the Franks. A church was built on its location by the Franks and blessed by Pope Leo III. Another famous sacred grove we have historic accounts of was situated near Dublin and was called Cael Tamer, meaning Thor's Grove in Old Irish. 
The grove was destroyed by a Christian army under the High King of Ireland, Brian Boru, early in the year 1000 CE. And of course, perhaps the most famous sacred tree and pagan temple was situated at Uppsala in Sweden, the most holy place of Swedish paganism. And that was raised to the ground by the Christian King Inga the Elder around about the year 1080 CE. But the tree of Thor in Hesse was arguably the first and most famous example of a sacred grove and tree being raised to the ground and uh, perhaps set an example for the other later acts. To the west of Hesse and across the Rhine River in what is today modern-day France was the Empire of the Franks, another Germanic tribe. The Franks had begun moving into Roman Gaul after the Roman Empire fell and expanded their power over almost the entire region by the 7th century. The big difference, the, the salient point about the Franks and Saxons was that the Franks were solidly Christian while the Saxons were pagan. The Franks had converted to Christianity 200 years earlier in the late 5th century. That was when in 496 CE their king Clovis had been converted and baptised and the entire tribe had been ordered to follow suit. And so 200 years later all traces of paganism had been pretty much extinguished and the Franks had now become almost fanatic supporters of Christianity. And the Franks and their kings looked down upon the Saxons to the east with contempt and showed considerable zeal and intolerance in their ambition to convert the pagans across the Rhine. Frankish military power was also gradually increasing at this time, with the Franks beginning to expand further eastwards. And this expansion meant that areas like Hesse and Thuringia and Bavaria in what is now central and southern Germany were either annexed or made to pay tribute. And the northern portion of German territory, Saxony, would also come under threat very soon. And in fact, the Franks were also expanding northwards as well into Frisia, essentially the northern sections of what is the Netherlands now, along with northwestern stretches of Germany. And this was still another solidly pagan area. What this military expansion also meant was that by the end of the 7th and early 8th century, Christian missionary efforts were increasingly turning northwards as well as towards Saxony and Hesse and Bavaria. Charles Martel, who was effectively king of the Franks at this time, made strong moves to convert the Saxons and to facilitate this, he made the situation in his territory pretty favourable to Christian missionaries, giving full protection to these people. And in the area of Hesse, the pagan Saxons by the late 7th century were now being pressed into converting into Christianity with the opening of churches and the installation of Frankish garrisons in the area. So there were two means to convert the pagan Saxons. It could be done either by persuasion or, if that failed, by force and coercion at the point of the sword. Regarding the use of persuasion, by the late 7th and early 8th centuries, there had been some missionaries scouting or already working across the Rhine River in Hesse, for example. One was a chap called Frank Cunibert of Cologne, and another one was an Irishman called Killian of Würzburg. And these two bishops had been working in the area between the Rhine and Thuringia, essentially the middle portion of Germany, and had been having some limited success. In fact, a small church had been constructed at Burberg, close to the hilltop fortress of the town. And this was exactly opposite to Geismar where the famous sacred grove and tree of Thor was situated. This aggressive evangelization meant some of the Hessians at least uh, had uh, converted to Christianity already, but most, it seems, were resolutely pagan and not interested in changing their ways. 
But if persuasion didn't work, the second method, force, could be used. And this method was used extensively as the decades passed, and especially when Charlemagne became ruler of the Franks. He, meaning Charlemagne, preached with an iron tongue, in other words, the sword, in order to open for us Saxons the gates of faith. A 9th century Saxon is recorded to have said the the following on Charlemagne, the, the biggest and most aggressive sponsor of the conversion of pagans. Charlemagne would in fact become infamous for the massacre of around 4,500 Saxon warriors at Verdun in Saxony in the year 782 CE when they refused to convert to Christianity. So let's get into it. Who was responsible for cutting down the sacred grove and tree of Thor in Hesse? Well, it happened to be a 50-year-old Anglo-Saxon bishop called Boniface with a high level of religious zeal and fervour. The only major biography we have of Boniface's life, written close to this period and, and specifically of this particular incident, is from a, a disciple of his called Willibald. So we're pretty much reliant on a single source for the details of the story. Willibald wrote an account of what happened in his work called Vita Bonifati, or uh, The Life of St. Boniface, six years after Boniface's death in 760 CE. But it has to be remembered that this was a hagiography of Boniface, and uh, hagiographies being what they are tend to magnify the achievements of the, the quote, saint, unquote, and with no doubt uh, a healthy dose of miracles added in in order to sell the product. But having said that, it's an important account, having been written by a contemporary and written close to that period of time. Boniface was born in 672 CE into a, a fairly well-off family with good land holdings in Wessex in England. England hadn't been Christianized for that long a period at this time, less than 100 years if we exclude earlier Roman Christianity, which had uh, pretty much disappeared in any case. Early missionaries like St. Augustine, for example, had arrived only in the year 597 CE and uh, began pushing their beliefs on the local pagans with fairly mixed results. But by Boniface's time, all traces of pagan worship were being essentially stamped out pretty vigorously by the church. Boniface's original name was actually the much more Anglo-Saxon-sounding Winfrith. His father had sent him at the early age of seven to a, a monastery, which basically set him on his career in the church, and he was ordained as a priest at the age of 30. His missionary career began in uh, 716 AD at the age of 44, when he decided to go to Frisia, and that's the area which modern Holland and northwestern Germany currently occupy. Frisia was, at the time, being targeted by Willy Broad, another Anglo-Saxon missionary and his band of sidekicks. The area had been open to Christian missionaries when Pepin, who was the father of the more famous Charles Martel, became the de facto ruler of the Franks. And Pepin had put pressure on the pagan king Rodbed, the ruler of Frisia, to open up his territory to these people. But Pepin had died in 714 and Rodbed, a committed pagan, had destroyed the local churches that had been constructed by the missionaries and had rebuilt the pagan shrines that the missionaries had ordered to be raised to the ground. So the situation was too dangerous as far as Winfrith was uh, concerned and he didn't want to be killed and he returned to England till the situation changed. In 718 CE, two years later, he decided to go as a missionary to Thuringia instead, which was the German territory on the borders of the Frankish Empire. But he soon learnt the situation in Frisia had changed, that the pagan king Rodbed had died. So he went back to his original plan and worked for three years under Willibrod, trying to convert the Frisians to Christianity. A year later, in 719 CE, he returned to Germany again. The Pope at the time, Gregory II, had given Winfrith a new name, Boniface, and 
encouraged him to renew his mission to convert the pagans of Germany. Quote, in the name of the indivisible Trinity and by the authority of St. Peter, we now decree that you go forth to preach the word of God to those people who are still bound by the shackles of paganism. You are to teach them the service of the kingdom of God by persuading them to accept the truth in the name of Christ, the Lord our God. You will instill into their minds the teaching of the Old and New Testaments, doing this in a spirit of love and moderation and with arguments suited to their understanding. Given this remit, Boniface first went to Thuringia before returning to Frisia to continue his missionary work there. And he would stay there for around two years before travelling to Hess in 721. So why did he go to Hesse? Well, Boniface, like most Anglo-Saxons in England, felt some sort of bond towards their fellow Saxons on the continent. It has to be remembered that the Anglo-Saxons who'd crossed into England from the continent had done so only around 200 years earlier. And Boniface himself, in one of his letters, refers to the brotherhood that still existed between the two Saxon contingents divided by the Frankish kingdom and the English Channel now. Therefore, it was imperative in his mind to convert them to Christianity. How could the Saxons on the continent, his own cousins, still be pagans, he felt? And uh, in one of his letters, he describes his motives for his mission. Quote, we beg you to be instant in prayer that God and our Lord Jesus Christ may convert the hearts of the pagan Saxons to the faith. Remember them because they themselves are accustomed to say we are of one blood and one bone. So around 712 CE, he headed off to Hesse, where he had some limited success for a year or two. He'd set himself up at uh, Amonaberg, which at this time was at the very edge of Frankish-controlled territory, and here he managed to convert some of the local pagan rulers, the idea being the local population would automatically follow suit once their leader had converted. And this was a popular technique with Christian missionaries. If the tribal chief could be converted, then it was a lot easier to convert the tribe itself en masse to Christianity. So the chieftain was given special attention. Later in 722, he went to Rome for a second time, and at Rome he very importantly received a letter of commendation from the Pope to be delivered to Charles Martel, asking him, quote, to help Boniface in all his needs and to grant him your constant protection against any who may stand in his way. So the Pope recognised more aggressive tactics might have to be used, and that people like Boniface would require the backing of the Frankish army. And this is where it really gets interesting as to how focused the pagans were in bowing and scraping to a, a Jewish messiah born in faraway Palestine. Many of the pagans had, it seems, only a nominal interest and had, by the time Boniface got back, simply apostatized and gone back to their pagan beliefs, rejecting Christianity. His biographer describes the situation, quote, Now many of the Hessians who at the time had acknowledged the Catholic faith were confirmed in the grace of the Holy Spirit and received the laying on of hands, but Others not yet strong in the spirit refused to accept the pure teachings of the church in their entirety. Moreover, some continued secretly, others openly, to offer sacrifices to trees and springs, to inspect the entrails of victims. Some practiced divination, ledger domain and incantations. Some turned their attention to auguries, auspices and other sacrificial rites, while others of a more reasonable character forsook all the profane practices of the Gentiles and committed none of these crimes. So Boniface found that much of his missionary work was uh, completely undone by his absence, and, and this annoyed him sufficiently to take the gloves off against the pagans. He organised a, a council with his remaining converts and came to the decision that he had to force the issue one way or the other and proved to the pagans that his god was more powerful than Thor or uh, the other German deities. So he travelled to see Charles Martel in the spring of 723 CE and showed him the letter from the Pope. 
And Martel, in turn, wrote a, a letter promising to protect him from danger as he went about his mission, and, and which he could show to local dignitaries and garrisons. Quote, be it known that wherever he, meaning Boniface, may choose to go, he is to be left in peace and protected as a man under our guardianship and protection. And with this protection from the powerful Frankish king, Boniface knew he would have no difficulty in aggressive action. He would obviously have known of the most important and famous pagan centre of worship in Hesse at the time. And that was the sacred pagan grove near the, the village called Geismar, which uh, itself was near the town of Fritzlar and where, of course, the, the Tree of Thor was situated. Now, as mentioned, the area was already under the control of the Franks and the village sat opposite the massive fortress of Bureberg, which was uh, occupied at this time by a Frankish garrison. In fact, the fortress of Bureberg had been captured in 690, so had been in Frankish control for uh, a good few years. So knowing he had the backing of Charles Martel and knowing the Frankish garrison at Bureberg would protect him, he decided to take a, a much more violent approach and perhaps manufacture a, a dramatic confrontation with the local pagans, designed to show them that the Christian god was stronger than Thor and the other German gods. Unusually, Boniface had declared up front to the pagans that he would destroy the large oak tree, and uh, from the account by Willyboard, we're told that a, a large crowd of pagans had turned up to watch, and many could be seen cursing Boniface and his supporters as they approached the tree. Quote, with the counsel and advice of the latter persons, Boniface in their presence attempted to cut down at a place called Gesma, a certain oak of extraordinary size called in the old tongue of the pagans the Oak of Jupiter. Taking his courage in his hands, for a great crowd of pagans stood by watching and bitterly cursing in their hearts the enemy of the gods, he cut the first notch. And this is where you begin to get the more miraculous sections being inserted into the narratives from Willibald, his disciple. Boniface stripped to the waist, took an axe and chopped the tree down. Quote, but when he had made a superficial cut, suddenly the oak's vast bulk, shaken by a mighty blast of wind from above, crashed to the ground, shivering its topmost branches into fragments in its fall. As if by the express will of God, for the brethren present had done nothing to cause it, the oak burst it asunder into four parts, each part having a trunk of equal length. Then to make sure the importance of the grove and the remnants of the tree did not continue, uh, presumably in case the pagans continued to worship at the site, Boniface had the considerable wood from the tree cut up and used to make a, an oratory dedicated to St. Peter in the nearby city of Fritzlar. When the tree was cut down, the pagans saw that the god Thor had not struck Boniface dead with a lightning bolt. And in his story, he tells of hundreds of watching pagans and deciding to convert after seeing Thor unable to stop this priest from damaging the tree. Surely this was a sign that Christianity was the true religion. Willibald writes that, quote, at the sight of this extraordinary spectacle, the heathens who had been cursing ceased to revile and began, on the contrary, to believe and bless the Lord. Now, this was no doubt a, a great exaggeration, as the Franks would have to work pretty hard to convert the Germans, especially during Charlemagne's time. Simply destroying sacred groves didn't, by magic, convert the pagans. However, Willie Board presumably added some artistic license into the story. However, the story quickly became a Christian legend, with the mass conversion, or, or alleged mass conversion, of the pagans of that area. And Boniface was later made into a saint and, in fact, be became known as the Apostle of Germany for beginning the conversion of the people, whether by dubious or, uh, and forceful means or not. So the question that comes immediately to mind is why the pagan Saxons didn't do anything to stop Boniface. Well, the main reason, as mentioned, was that the Hesse was already under the control of the Franks and the 
Felling of the tree happened almost under the gaze of the Frankish army garrison stationed at the nearby fortress. And, and this would explain the reticence of the pagans to show any violence and protect the shrine. To attempt to defend the sacred grove would have uh, triggered off a, a strong response from the garrison and perhaps even a, a war with Charles Martel. And this would explain why the, the pagans were limited to showing defiance by muttering words of contempt and insults at the bishop and his band. But this wasn't always the case elsewhere and in many places in Germany the pagans put up a good fight in the face of Frankish expansion and Charlemagne uh, as mentioned would later fight many battles against the pagan Saxons before they were subdued and converted. Boniface didn't have a happy ending himself and would meet a violent end although this wasn't in Hesse. He was made Bishop of Mainz later on, but he had decided to travel back to Frisia, where he was busy in his mission to convert the Frisians. On the 5th of June, 754 CE, Boniface somewhat ironically was cut down himself, just like the, the oak tree, but this time it was by a sword. He was attacked by a pagan band, angry at his actions of destroying pagan holy places, and he, along with 52 men of his band, were massacred. And that was the end of the Apostle of Germany. So what's the situation at the site today? Well, we don't really know the exact location where the Tree of Thor was at Geismar. And the church that Boniface had built and uh, constructed from the oak tree is obviously long gone. But you can visit the remains of the fortress at Burraberg. And there are still remnants of this structure on the opposite bank of the river to Geismar. And of course, you can visit the town of Geismar uh, itself as well. And I noticed from Google Maps that the main street of the town is named Boniface Strass in memory of the man. And of course, you can also visit the site of St. Peter's Cathedral in nearby Fritzlar as well, where you'll find a, a modern statue showing Boniface on an oak stump, summing up his action. So summing up, for this gross show of intolerance towards pagan worship, Boniface was elevated to sainthood, a tacit acceptance really from the church for the use of strong arm methods and that the end justified the means. I must admit I always find it a little odd how intolerance was actually seen as a virtue in Christian saints of old in their war against the pagans. Surely that's the exact opposite of saintliness and the live and let live approach to life that you would expect in a holy person. But paganism was looked down on heavily and was uh, seen as fair game. One last point, the Feast of St Boniface is held on the 5th of June so I think that's a, a pretty good anniversary to remember the great tree of Thor as well every year. This majestic oak and the ceremonies the locals must have held in front of it must have been quite a sight. Finally, if you like videos about pagan interactions with a, an advancing Christianity, be sure to like, subscribe and hit that bell icon so uh, you don't miss the next video. Thanks for watching and see you in the next episode.